Good morning. My name is Cliff Martin, and my wife Haley and I have been attending this church since 2021. We have two little girls in the back, Georgia Rose and Laura Grace, and uh, I serve as a volunteer leader with the junior hires on Wednesday nights, and we're also leading a new life group, my wife and I, and uh, you heard Mike mention that earlier. Um, if anyone's interested in joining a life group, um, please do contact us afterwards. We're, um, we're hoping to add several more families, wherever you are in your walk, um, whatever age you are, uh, we'd definitely love to have you as part of us. It's my privilege today to read Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the passage that uh, Cliff just read, uh, the topic should be very evident um, from what he, he read, the topic of worry. Um, it's a topic you and I live with. It's a topic that most of us woke up with. Um, it's the topic that many of us walked in here even feeling it in our bones or in our inner person. Anxiety, worry, and many, many of you are anxious or worried that that is what we're looking at today. And I apologize, sort of. <clears throat> um, I have the difficult task of, of, of addressing it by um, presenting it. Um, this was a, a topic or a, a passage the Lord led me to some time ago, just thinking about the new year and and what Dan Martin talked about, running our race by fixing our eyes on Jesus. And last week we looked at David um, saying, I want to dwell with you all the days of my life. I want to I behold or gaze upon your beauty and inquire or commune and attune myself with you. Um, and yet one of the things that kept striking me was this gaze, fix your eyes, where are you paying attention and then this idea of dwelling, which you heard, there's even dwelling or thinking about um, and communing with the Lord here. And it seems that the thing that we face each day or confronted with each day or sometimes sideswiped with each day or that can cause us not to run our race or can reveal to us that we're not fixing our eyes and our attention on Him but we're scattered and we're skittish, is that it's, it's our anxiety, it's, it's worry. And so we live in a world that is anxious. Um, it's, it's over the last few years, right, we've experienced that with COVID. Um, and even prior to COVID, we were quite an anxious 
people really since 2012. Anxiety and depression, particularly amongst um, teenagers, has spiked. Um, and then COVID kind of amplified some things. We went more isolated from each other. So therefore, that also just puts us on edge. Um, we feel that loneliness. We feel that isolation. We feel um, that scatteredness, that inability to come. I don't know if you feel that way. It's not just because I'm 53. It's just also the characteristic of our age that I find myself almost uh, disabled, almost, if you will, at times to, to concentrate, to focus. I don't know if you feel that way or not. But our world is anxious, and yet that's not what God has in store and in design for you and me. He, he has actually for us a life that's non-anxious in an anxious world. Our world is anxious against its statistics are rising. I'm not going to hit you with a bunch of them. I will say this. One-third of U.S. adults um, are, have or struggling with an anxiety dis- disorder. Um, and that's just, hey, we're at disorder level. Then there's, you come back, we're, we're, the rest of us are right pacing right behind you with feeling it, gnawing in us, or breathing down our necks. We feel troubled. We feel stressed or distressed. And of those third of adults, interestingly, almost 50% are ages 18 to 24. The time in life when you'd feel like, hey, all of life's ahead of me. Everything is full of promise. Instead, half of that age group doesn't necessarily wake up or go about their day that way that they are greeted with anxiety rising within or pulsating without. And so we live in an anxious world. And my aim today, because I believe it's part of where Paul, it's part of Paul's aim and really God through Paul's aim. My aim is simply to call us to hear God's offer out of that anxious world or actually in the midst of the anxious world we live in to receive his offer, to take him up on his offer, to be transformed by him into those who are a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. That it would actually be the God of peace or the Prince of peace, Jesus himself, who would be on display through us because our world being riddled with anxiety, they see someone not going that way all the time, and they're like, what's going on with you? And the answer would be, well, the God of peace, the Prince of peace, who I've just taken him up on his offer. And so his peace being on display, first of all, his peace being believed and pursued and then experienced by us, and then his peace being on display, being a blessing to those around us who aren't waking up non-anxious. It's a rare thing, and it can be a beautiful thing. Well, we, you know, a very real one, I'm going to ask you this at the end. I might as well say, what worry did you walk in here with? It's something, potentially. Worry, anxiety, they're pretty much the same thing. We'll talk in just a second about what, is, what does it mean biblically, but what is it that's, that's 
throbbing or nipping, gnawing, pulling, whichever describes a worry, a concern. Um, Maybe it's something that's uncertain. Maybe it's, hey, it's Sunday and we have MLK Day off, but my boss late Friday afternoon sent me an email that was kind of vague but said, hey, I'd like to meet with you on Tuesday morning. And I think, where's that going? I know there's been lots of layoffs. Or it could be that you have gone in to have some tests done and you haven't received word back or the reports and it's been like two weeks past when they told you the reports would come and what will they reveal? Or it could be a conflict um, within the family. Whether it's husband and wife or um, uh, you know, children and parents, maybe it's in-laws, they're probably always a source of anxiety. No. No, sorry, Bobby and Judy, I love you and you're great. No. I have I'm very blessed with my in-laws. But what is that? Because like I said last week, I don't want this to be a lesson in the Greek about Philippians and this and that. That's no good. I mean, there's good, but only as it supports the message being us hearing and being receptive to and then leaning into and living into what God is offering us. And he's offering you and me a life of peace. Because what do we want when we feel anxiety? What do you want when you're thinking about that thing that you hoped you wouldn't think about and now I made you think about it and it's throbbing? You could call it different things like, well, I want this specific outcome or I want, but, but you're wanting peace. You're wanting it to be settled. You're wanting it to be taken care of. You're wanting it to no longer be a bother. And that's what God, through Paul, offers you and me. It's peace. And it's not, this is the Greek, but in the context, it lets us know that the peace that you and I desire and the peace that Paul talks about God offering and himself being is the Hebrew concept of shalom. So it's not just the absence of conflict, but it's a wholeness and a settledness in the midst of conflict, uncertainty, or what worry is nipping and gnawing at you. And so, the, if you can throw the, the next slide up, let's just talk about it for a moment. Anxiety, uh, the next one for me. There we go. Our little um, Forrest Gump running. Um, what is anxiety? Well, biblically, uh, whether you go to Matthew 6, where Jesus says it three times, do not be anxious, or you go to the passage in Luke that we also hate to go through because Jesus commends Mary but kind of gets on Martha for being, but he's, what is it? She's busy and distracted or anxious about all these things, getting the house ready. But the, but the point is that the word, same word is used in these different uh, contexts, and it literally means to be pulled in different directions. So if you're focused, if you're attentive, then you're, you're in one direction. But when you're worried, that experience of feeling skittish is because you're pulled this way and that way. That experience, particularly, you're experiencing it when you feel scattered. I can't seem to concentrate on anything. I have too many fires to put out. I have too much that's out of my control. 
That is anxiety. That is anxiousness. And so we feel pulled. What's the source? Or what, if we had to think about it a little bit, what is anxiety? Is there a difference between it and fear? And in one sense, no. They're both the same ballpark. But I want to um, suggest to you that let's just say that, that fear is, is a real emotional response to a real threat. Now, there's two types of, I'm not going to get too scientific on you because I'm not scientific, but you guys get this. There's really kind of two flavors of this as well if you talk about worry or anxiety. There's acute, meaning um, that dog is unleashed and it's coming at me and it looks vicious and there's an alarm that goes off. It's acute anxiety. I better get out of the way or get in the house. This dog is coming. But there's another one, and this is what Paul's addressing here and what Jesus addresses in, in Matthew 6. Um, whether, whether it's still something real, but it can be, become the obsessive thinking and churning on something real or perceived or imagined. And oftentimes... The real thing that, yeah, I, this is uncertain. I don't know what the meeting with the boss is about. I don't know what the, the reports, the medical reports will show from the test. I don't know yet how things are going to work out in this conflict relationally. So that's a real deal. But then we can begin to work up worst-case scenarios. And that's really what Paul's addressing here is when we start going down that road, and kicking up the dust that's maybe imagined dust or at least concocted worst-case scenarios and we camp there and we refuse to let go of that because we're like, well, at least I can obsess about this because that shows I'm responsible. And this is what Paul is getting at. So I'm presenting to you fear is a real thing. Um, Scriptures tell us, don't be afraid, do not fear. But then it also tells us to fear. Fear the Lord. And so that's the beginning of wisdom. So the beginning of knowing how to navigate something is transferring my fear from myself and what I can control or can't control to fearing Him. But what I want to suggest in this context, just for a moment, when anxiety begins to alarm you, what do you do? Where do you tend to go? What are you tempted to do? And then we're really going to spend our time today talking about what can we do with our anxieties, with our worry. When anxiety threatens or builds up, what do you want most? You want peace. Where do you typically go looking for peace? I'm going to give you three that are kind of easy pickings. Well, first, we want, you know, okay, we want peace. I'm going to go and look for what I can control. Now, that's not a bad thing. If God's giving you a responsibility of a responsibility, do that all you can with that. But this is beyond that. This is something that's not really in our control, but I think I'll control it. We don't have time to go into it. I'm not here to preach Matthew 6. But Jesus says that's an impotent option. He says, who of you can add a single day to your life? And the illustration I've used all the time is whether it's golfer or bowler, 
you release that ball, or you put that ball, and then we start contorting our body. Does that change the ball? No, it already left your hand. It will go in the gutter, and it will be a bogey, all right? <laughs> or it'll be a birdie, but you can't control it anymore. So we, we typically will go toward control. Second, and this is the biggie for all of us, go to distraction. I just don't want to think about it. I just don't want to think about it, but I'm not going to let go of it. I'm just going to stuff it, and I'm going to, you know, go to my, I'm going to go to my scrolling and swiping. I'm going to go to my video game. I'm going to Netflix myself away. And then strangely, after the five-hour Netflix binge, it comes right back up. Third um, is just, you put anything in this category. Really, when we want to have peace, we can pursue it in control or distraction, but also temporary remedies to soothe or numb pain. Temporary remedies to soothe or numb pain. Some of that's in distraction. Some of that is in um, going to substances. Um, some of that could be in um, pornography, you name it. But the point would be what we're after is peace. But we're choosing that option to numb it or to squelch it or whatever, and yet it doesn't take care of it. You don't arrive, you don't arrive at the peace you desire or I desire. So what can we do with our worry? Well, next slide. This is what Paul's saying. This is easy to see in Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing. Everybody say nothing. Pray about everything. Be anxious for nothing or worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Now, that makes some of us nervous already because that feels irresponsible. That feels um, like, you know, ignoring issues. That's not what the passage is saying, and we'll talk about that in a moment. It's saying take those real issues and rather than worry, pray. So what I want you to see, if, if we're not going to go back to it, but when fear's coming, or when particularly what anxiety is, is forecasting a future that you really don't know, but you've kind of now convinced yourself this is what's going to be happening, or it's going to be the worst case scenario. That's, what I want you to see is, God's letting you know that's an option. Anxiety tempts us to believe this is the only option that's responsible and will control it or take care of it and get me the peace I want. And that's where Satan would love for us to, to live and dwell because it scatters us, causes us to live fearfully and not as a non-anxious presence, but as one who's no different than our world, which is riddled with anxiety. And so Jesus offers more than those three or four options I threw out there. That's why he says three times, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, but seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and you will have what you need. You'll be provided for. We're going to see that same contrast in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So I want you to hear that God is offering a choice, a life-giving choice, a God-honoring choice, and a peace-bringing choice that he promises us should we lean into and trust him with it. So look in verses 4 and 5. I'm going to kind of go through the first one here pretty quickly. 
But he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Where is Paul writing this from? Prison. He's in a damp prison, probably chained to a guard who is watching him, watching, making sure nobody else is coming in as a threat. He will take care of that. He will make sure Paul doesn't go anywhere. And yet he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Right above this, he's actually writing about some conflict within the body between two ladies. We don't know much about them. He asked a fellow believer in the church to kind of help them out and assist them. But even that conflict probably came from a sense of a threat. And what do I do? And maybe you're a threat. And well, you're a threat to me. And now we're at it. And so earlier he talks about in Philippians 2, be of the same mind, have the same mind and attitude in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Think of others' interests more important than your own. He's trying to encourage unity. He's talking about then in Philippians 3, um, consider your life, consider everything else as lost in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And so therefore, whatever that means, if I'm going to become more like him, whatever comes my way, whatever that means, I want to be transformed. I value that more, and that's of a surpassing value to me more than having a nice resume and having the reputation among people and whatever. And so he, he's concluding this letter about fellowship joy and unity from his prison cell and he's saying hey if i'm going to put a a sticker here on it it's choose cultivate joy always no and for us the lesson is no matter the circumstance no matter the worry that you feel like is breathing down your neck he says um why because the lord is near the lord is near This joy that he's talking about, it's both commanded, rejoice, but it's also an uncontrollable response that comes as we cultivate it in all circumstances. And he says that this God of peace, that he'll call him that later, is near. And he's talking about both the Lord's soon return at any moment, and he's talking about that the Lord is present always with his people. Stop for a second. Paul's, part of Paul's issue, trouble, weight, is just his circumstance. And then he's also burdened for the churches that he started, but some of them he's not sure how they're doing, and some of them sound like they're getting at each other, you know, and he has these concerns. And he wants them to know, let his nearness settle you. Let his withness that we talk a lot about, let his withness, the fact that he's near bring you peace because the peace you pursue is going to be found first of all in realizing and practicing that he's near when asaph in psalm 73 is upset he's like surely i've you know done all this stuff in vain like what's the point all the evil people are fat and happy and i'm just i'm unsettled i'm attacked i'm under he had some angst but then at the very end he talks about that the lord is his portion and he says your nearness is my good God's nearness is your good. No matter how awful and ugly and and daunting are your circumstances, the Lord is near. The Lord is with you. And let his nearness bring about a rejuvenated joy. And then he says this. 
let your gentleness, your gentle spirit, or some of yours says, let your reasonableness be evident or be known to all people. That's kind of, it's a strange, what, discombobulated bunch of sentences here. And yet, through the whole passage, what we'll see is there's a gentleness, a reasonableness. When, when, when you encounter, when you're in the midst of horrible circumstances, and yet you see somebody that is like this, not perfect, but there's an inner buoyancy about them. There's an inner settledness about them. They don't have to fly off at the handle at every moment. They don't go into a deep dive of a panic. and every. They don't try to control every last little thing. In our world, that's rare. Our anxious world doesn't respond that way, doesn't react that way. And really, whether it's fear or anxiety, what it is... That's an emotional response to a threat, to a moment. And he's saying, as we cultivate the practicing of the peace that God offers and pursuing him, the God of peace, he says, there'll be a, a fruit out of that, both the joy that gives you buoyancy and then a gentleness as you go through the situation. As you're in the midst of the situation, and people will be like, what gives? What is going on? And so that's the first one, that his witness brings peace. The God of peace is near, so rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to others. Well, then the next one, and this is kind of the heart of the passage, verses 6 and 7. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but... In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we are worried, our hearts begin to get skittish and unsettled. Our minds begin to be pulled in lots of directions. Our minds begin to also fabricate those worst-case scenarios. They begin to blame others that our world isn't at peace, and so you're probably part of ruining my agenda. But I just want us to see the contrast. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made. God is giving you an option that your flesh, the world, and the devil would tell you doesn't exist. He's saying you can do something with the worry that threatens you, with the anxiety that pulls you. You can do something with it. If you go to that next slide, prayer brings peace. Again, you're like, wow, this is really first grade level. Well, we need it. We need first grade level. But it's prayer that God offers as the environment, as the place to go, when anxiety threatens, prayer brings peace. And when we practice the kind of prayer he talks about here, then he gives a promise that the God of peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How do we do this prayer? Well, you stop being anxious. Um, this is one Greek thing that's helpful. The be anxious for nothing is stop it. it it's, it's a once, like, let it stop. 
And then the praying is pray always, continually. And guess what? When that anxiety that you stopped and you prayed about it, and you're like, all right, I got a little bit, and then ooh, it just comes right back, right? A lot of times it will. Or, or it doesn't get answered, or it didn't get solved, or whatever. And it's another opportunity to say, don't go down the anxious road, but pray. Pray about it. There's four words for prayer here. Uh, they're, they're kind of all interconnected. We don't need to splice and dice them. The idea is, I'm inviting you to come bend my ear. And I love this. I waited patiently for the Lord, Psalm 40. He inclined and heard my, my cry. Inclined. The Lord leans down to listen to those who would cry out to him. The Lord cares enough to do so. And he offers it here. He says, rather than be riddled with anxiety, skittish and scattered, come to me. Come to me. Because I want to provide you a settled wholeness a security inwardly and outwardly. But often we go down the road of worrying. I want to say this really quickly, just as I've kind of thought about worrying. Again, worrying as it becomes a practiced pattern, then our, sorry to keep going to golf, I'm not even a golfer, but you, get, you do this so many times, repetition, right? To build your muscle memory. So now it's the putt, and it's the masters, and you're like, ah, you're not, you're just like, all right, what do I do? You're there, right? But worriers also practice. It's not just practice this prayer that he's talking about, but we also are practicing. It becomes a habit and a pattern to go down the obsessive worst-case scenario where we begin to think, well, you know what? Those optimists, they're always about life is sunny and this and that. And so optimism doesn't equal peace. But the other side of that is we can begin to approach and go, well, what's real reality is, is pessimism and responsibility. And so I'm going to say, quit being so sunshiny and so positive. We need to be real here. And by real, we actually mean pessimistic. Cynical. That's the spirit of our age, actually. Cynical and complaining. And a worrier, what can happen is, a worrier, the more we do it, we actually disable our ability to enjoy the present. A worrier cannot follow Christ fully. It's an impossibility because he says we cannot serve God and mammon, but it's also we, can, we have to serve one or the other. What, otherwise, we're pulled in two directions. That's why he says, what are you worried about these things? Your father knows you need them, but seek first his kingdom. There's your option. Give wholehearted, devoted attention to the Lord and his kingdom. And he says, I'll provide for you. Uh, worriers, um, and that's all of us, when we get in this pattern of worrying, we can't change our present situation by worrying. It doesn't work. We can't change the future by worrying. We can't undo and redo the past by worrying. And we miss out on God's best for us. So he says, let your request be made known to God. I love that. There's actually two passives here in the passage. The first one we already saw, let your gentleness be made known to all. And now he says, I know you're worried, and it's good to share with a few fellow believers because we're supposed to share one another's burdens. But he says, first and foremost, and most 
often, let your request be made known to God. That's awesome. He's inviting you. You don't have to come in all polished up and cleaned up. And I've theologically framed this up, God, so here you go. He's saying, come in as the mess you are right now, being worried, and don't try to push them down. And, and the illustration that's easy to think through here is, if you've ever uh, tried this, you've probably tried it once with a beach ball in a pool, and you try to hold it down. You could probably do that, but then you add a second one, because usually we don't just have one thing bouncing around in our worry chamber. So now try to hold down three or four. What's going to happen? <laughs> They're going to pop up. God's saying, let them. He's inviting you. Whatever that throb is, whatever that, that, that threat perceived, real, or imagined, whatever it is, let it rise to me. Let me have it. That's good news. He says, I want you to, to let it be known to me. That's how we do it. We... We let them rise, our anxieties, our worries. We let our request, what we really want out of this, let them rise, and we do it with thanksgiving. This is a great, we were talking about before, it's a great passage to memorize and to memorize and practice with our children. Because guess what? They're capable of being little worriers too. In fact, probably because they've been under our tutelage, whether we had tutelage as our thinking or not, They've learned to be warriors as well. And for them to know, God wants to hear what's worrying you, what's troubling you. He says, I can handle it. I want you to share it with me. Let them rise. He says, but do it with thanksgiving. And part, that sounds weird too. Like, what? <laughs> I thought we were praying about stuff I need happening here so I can have some peace. Part of the practice of going to him and saying, thank you, Lord, that right now, that meeting I'm nervous about next week with the boss, has brought me to a place of recognizing I don't have control over all things. And, and, and I can remember other times in the past when I got a little tinge of worry and where you provided. He didn't tie a bow on that thing, but he gave you the grace to sustain you through it. Or sometimes he did address the situation, but most of the time he transforms us in the midst of the situation where our perspective changes, we become more gentle, but particularly practicing that helps us be reminded and not become forgetful. Remember that he's a God who cares and a God who's faithful and a God who provides not only refuge, but he provides a listening ear. He provides tangible kindnesses of support to get us through. And so be thankful. It reminds us when we're in a situation like this, you are with me. He says, I will, when you do that, I'll guard your hearts. And the word there, again, Paul writing, prison, guard next to him, that's probably what he has in mind. That God says, when you pray, when you approach me this way and let him rise, he says, I will march century duty around you. I will march guard duty around you. I won't let that threat get there. I won't let it undo you. I will protect you. And he says, the peace of God, which is mind-blowing, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I wrote this down in my notes. His peace is promised here. We're nervous to do that because what if it doesn't come through the way I thought it would happen? God promises us 
His peace is promised and experienced, but it's not fully explainable from our human limited perspective. So we got to be careful when we refuse to let our requests be made known to God. That means we say, I've got, I've got this on my own. I've got the better solution. I'm not liking your solution. I'm not liking waiting, whatever it is. We're refusing to do that. What we end up doing is nursing our anxieties. And God wants to deliver us from that because our, new, our nursed worries will soon grow teeth and then they'll grow larger and larger and they'll become more insistent that we give it attention more and more. We nurse our worries in, um, in hopes of quieting them down. It doesn't do it, does it? It doesn't shrink them and it warps our picture of God. He says, the, God, uh, the peace of God will guard you so what do we do? We let him up, relinquish, let go of your anxieties, let go of, give him your requests. Or another author I, I really appreciate, he said, transfer what's weighing you down, transfer the weight on him. That's what he invites. He says, when we do that in thankful prayer, the peace of God will march guard duty around your heart and mine. And then, this one uh, from a different psalm, Psalm 94, 19. In Psalm 94, the author says, I got to a place where my feet almost slipped. In other words, I kind of almost just gave up on you, God, and gave up on life. And he, but then he says, I, God, your loving kindness kicked in enough to where it got my attention. And he could say in the rearview mirror, thinking back on this experience when he just let God know what was happening, he said, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. We, we don't use the word consoling much. Consoling is not like, there, there, bless your heart. No, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is a consolation to delight your soul and mine. It's a promise that's backed by the one who can take care of it and follow through on it. The one who's demonstrated that in the past the one who promises a future where there won't be any more anxiety at some point. Let that delight your soul. When you feel anxieties multiplying, you're not alone. All of us are there, will be there. He says, when that happens, let them rise. Relinquish them into the hands of the one who says, then I'll guard your hearts with my peace. Lastly, verses 8 and 9. It's not only that prayer brings, a presence brings peace or nearness or prayer, but also practice. And we see that in the next slide here. The God of peace is with you. And I put down there, how do we practice this? We dwell and we practice. Dwell and practice. So in letting them rise, um, we're, we're casting them off. We're throwing them on him. We're transferring what worries you. Transfer it to him and transfer your request to him. Let him hear how you want help. And so we're, if you will, we're taking the negative and what could grow toxic and teeth and all that stuff, and we're putting it on him. But we, we don't want to leave it ourselves empty here. This isn't new agey or whatever. You know, like, hey, empty yourself and you'll discover peace. No, we've got to fill our lives with, with that which is true. And he'll, he'll talk about a list there of, of true and honorable and righteous, that which was lovely and of good repute good things 
So in other words, you think about your grandmother, remember? Garbage in, garbage out. Well, now we're getting garbage out, and we're trying to get that which is good and excellent and praiseworthy and Christ-honoring, in fact, Christ-like. He says, that's what you set your mind on, not the worries. Don't nurse the worries, but dwell, or literally, this is to think. Some, most of your translations say think, but I like that he says dwell, because it's not just, well, let me do more thinking here. Let me do more thinking. It is, but he's saying, really, think about how you've been thinking and think about the one who is the God of peace, who invited you to let those requests, come into his presence and let those requests be made known. And think about how he thinks about you. Think about his promise of the peace that you seek. And he says uh, in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, anything of excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So in other words, starve your mind of your worries because you've given them away to him and feed your attention on that which is Christ-like, Christ-honoring, and life-giving for you and for me. It's Psalm 1. The man that's blessed because he meditates on God's Word day and night. And he'll be like a, a tree firmly planted, and his leaf won't wither, and in, and in season he'll produce fruit. But that's over time. And for a long time, most trees in Israel are beside rivers that are dry. And yet, he says, root there, meditate on his word, give your mind, and rehearse is the word I would use. Rehearse God's truth, rehearse Christ's likeness, rather than rehearsing your worry. Each morning when you wake, there's an opportunity to give our minds, to give our attentions to something. Where will you give yours? Um, I'm going to, verse 9, kind of to wrap up here. He says, uh, it's very interesting. Okay, we're to dwell on these things. And he says, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So it's dwell on God's truth, and then it's live it. And live with that truth as a foundation, as your walking shoes. Walk it out. Live it. But it's not just, hey, you individual, get up, have your quiet time, meditate on God's Word, now go live it. Notice there's a big prepositional phrase in here. The things you've learned and been receptive to, and you've heard, and you've seen, where? You can just say it out loud. You heard and seen where? Are you too quiet? Where? In me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. What I want you to see here is that Paul isn't just giving them some formula for how to not worry. He's inviting them into what God's offered in a deepening relationship with him and therefore a greater buoyancy in the Lord. But it's been evidenced by the one who's writing from prison, who many of them know of his other sufferings and other worry, worrisome situations, where he can say, 
you didn't just learn some doctrine from me, but we were with each other where there could be some receptivity, and you've heard it, but you've seen it in me. Not perfection, but peace that passes understanding in the worst-case scenario that you didn't even imagine. You've seen it in me. Practice these things. Do them. Dwell on what's true, really true about God. Really true about your situation. Again, do not create a hypothetical four, four um, scenarios down from an imagined scenario in the first place. Dwell on what's true about God and, uh, and who you are to him. Dwell on uh, and with thankfulness and his faithfulness in the past. And put into practice that which is living in such a way that your gentleness is known to all men. And what does worry you first gets thrown to God. He says, you've seen that in me. And so a challenging question for myself in the next slide. He says, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. My question is, can you say this? Can you say this to someone struggling with worry? That doesn't mean, again, if you have a propensity to worry, this is not a guilting you for that. This is an invitation from God into a life that's pursuing peace that's only found in him. And as you do so, his transforming grace and the peace that's the fruit of his spirit will become beautiful, inexplainable, and yet undeniably attractive. And they're not attracted to you and how you've got it all together. They're attracted to the one in you who is your peace. People are watching us. They're watching how we react to stress and worry, and it's an opportunity for witness, the witness of who Jesus is and his peace. I would say this simply as a, as a concluder before we practice for a moment. And I borrow this from Brian Loritz. He says, freaking out is typical. So in our anxious world, freaking out is typical. When things are hitting the fan, things are worrisome. He says, peace in the midst of pressure or uncertainty honors Jesus and calms others around you. Because anxiety means being pulled in different directions, this means peace is disturbed, not just by the threats that we perceive or make up, but also distractions. So my encouragement is, let them rise to him. And as we do that, dwell on his word and dwell with him and practice, practice, practice what it looks like to walk with the Prince of Peace in the midst of a hostile world. Um, and so my question here is, how will you pay attention to what you pay attention? We've said that a lot. All the people are making gobs of money off of us because it's an attention economy. If they can get you to click, if they can get you to go to this link, and now they've got your money, and next thing you know, they've got, really, they got your attention, and everything else follows. And God's simply inviting us. We don't have to do that. We can first give him our attention, seek first him, his kingdom, his righteousness. We can go to him with what worries us. And he is the God of peace, will guard our hearts and give us a life-giving peace that is a witness of his son to others. Um, we have those two tools we've mentioned before. The PLD, it's a great way to just say, God, I, I want your... I want you to have my attention and help me look at how have you been faithful the past year 
what am I going into? And not just what are my worries, but Lord, what, what's in front of me? And then how we can dwell on his word. We have a reading plan. It's a simple reading plan. But I stop, I, I end our time with this. Worry about nothing. This is a slide for this grant. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. The peace of God will guard you. And the God of peace will be with you. We see this in the life of Jesus. We see his gentleness being known to all. First Peter tells us he gave us an example for suffering. And when he was threatened, he didn't threaten in return. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. But he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. That's all this is. Don't feel guilty. Oh, I got a tinge of anxiousness again. Don't go, ah, oh, there I go. I'm a worrier. I'm the worst. It's an indicator. It's let the alarm sound and then turn it off. Don't let it keep blaring. Let it, let it sound and then entrust yourself again to the one who's got you. We're going to do that. I'm going to have the worship team come up to close in song. But Jesus could do that. He kept entrusting himself. That example was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, if there's any other way, God, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. What an example for us of how to keep entrusting ourselves to the one who wants to call us out of and transform us in the midst of anxiety. I've got two, two verses here. We're going to be singing from a psalm about waiting on the Lord. But I want us to have a time of offering. Next slide, Grant. Because as you think about what's worrying you right now, don't worry, we're not passing a plate. <laughs> You're not giving money. This is, what is it that you need to offer, let rise to him right now? If, if it's that conflict, if it's uncertainty, if it's stress at work, or the stress that you don't have work, finance, whatever it is, I want this to be a time of offering. And I simply want to encourage you to offer it to him. There's two, two uh, prayer, two psalms that are one psalm and one from First Peter that really encourage me to just let him have it. But the first is uh, ask, inviting him to search us. Lord, what is it? Why is this such an anxiety for me? What's really underneath this? Do I not trust you? Am I a control freak? Whatever it is. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my what? Anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me. Am I contributing to this? And lead me in the everlasting way. And then First Peter, Peter invites us, just like Paul does. Cast your cares, your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Do you believe that? He cares for you and he can do something about it. Now he may not do it immediately, which is why there's waiting. But we wait patiently for the Lord who loves to incline and listen. So would you stand? We're going to sing, I will wait for you. But I want this to be a time of offering. Will you offer to God? Whisper it now or from your heart. This is what's bothering me. This is what's worrying me. Let him take it. We'll sing this as our song of devotion to him.